Hello, kid. Hello, Curly. Hi, Buck. How's your folks? Oh, just fine, Ringo, except my grandfather came Shut up. up. Didn't expect to see you riding shotgun on this run, Marshal. Going to Lordsburg? I figured you'd be there by this time. No. Lame horse. Well, it looks like you've got another passenger. Yeah. I'll take the Winchester. You may need me in this Winchester, Curly. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of a podcast directed by. We, of course, continue our watch of John Ford movies, and our resident John Ford expert, Paul Ponte from the Screen Watchers Guild, will be chiming in here and there with uh, some context uh, for my discussion with my co-host, Mike. So, Mike, uh, welcome to another episode of John Ford. Are you are you excited now after watching The Informer to move on to his more well-known stuff? Our first movie, of course, is Stagecoach, which may be one of his most well-known movies. I like how you set me up there because I've actually seen Stagecoach, yes. so uh, I'm very uncool, apparently. Uh, I was hoping you were going to introduce me as this show's John Ford expert. Um, I don't know which one of, us, of the two of us would have to be that. I don't know. I think, we're, I think we're fighting it out. Like, but like, Two? Stagecoach being one of them? That I think yeah, each of us I mean, I think you already told me that my number three did not count uh, because I had seen it in school uh, many years ago, so... So we both, I think, seen Stagecoach. I'm a very cruel man. You are. Especially to the young. You're tough. Young Dave. (laughs) Doesn't count. It's basically like Stagecoach. And what was the other one? What was the other one we had both seen? The Searchers. The Searchers, yeah. The the John Wayne kind of double feature, yeah. Am I excited? Yes, I am excited to be past The Informer, which I ended up liking, which made me hate it all the more, if that makes sense. Yeah, you were just so ready to be negative, and it ruined it for you. The movie did get better, though, so yeah, that yes. ruined that ruined the podcast for sure. <laughs> so, sorry, Dave. Sorry, yeah. listeners. Yeah, it happens. So, what was your experience before with watching Stagecoach? Like, Do you remember enjoying it? Did you watch it recently? Yeah, I mean, it was... Uh, early on in the War Machine versus War Horse days uh, that I sort of forced myself to watch it. It was a, actually like a recommendation uh, by a listener because we were doing like a Western thing and mm-hmm. it was back when I would engage with people online and I was like, yeah, what's some, what are some Westerns that would fit this specific theme? And I think that theme was uh, about how women are portrayed in that genre because mm-hmm. usually they're sort of cast aside and they're it's not that they're not cast aside in this film, but there is at least one particular character of Dallas that has a far more prominent role. And I believe the actress has top billing on this one because mm-hmm. this was pre John Wayne uh, being a star, which was interesting in the the minimal amount of research I read that Ford really went to bat for Wayne on this and yeah. then braided him pretty much throughout the entire production. <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting. Cause you think of, I think most people think of John Wayne as like, Oh, well he's always been a movie star, right? It's, John Wayne, he's like the face of the Western, right? Mm-hmm. If you think Westerns, you think John Wayne. And, you know, in also the minimal amount of research I did, which amounts to looking at a couple Wikipedia pages. Good uh, enough. Yeah. Uh, John Wayne was not a star before this. In fact, like he almost left the industry because he was kind of a failure. Like his movies didn't do well. He wasn't moving up. And then John Ford must have seen him in something and saw something in him. 
And but how many credits did he have at this point? It's like he had worked. It wasn't like, Oh yeah. Had, it wasn't like he had just done a couple things. Like right. he had done 15 or 20 roles and it was just like, well, this clearly isn't working time to pack it up and go back home. And then John Ford got a, got a hold of him as an actor and, you know, apparently berated him into superstardom. Uh, and I think, but it's interesting because in this movie, I think Ford, he is actively trying to make John Wayne a star. You can see it from well, the, the, the introduction. Yeah, yeah. The first shot, this like, you know, fancy zoom in to him with him twirling his, his shotgun, you know, I mean, it's very, it's very movie star. Like, you know, like just from a visual cue that like, oh, this is actually the guy we're supposed to pay attention to. And he's not in the first couple scenes in the movie. They come upon him later. But as soon as he shows up, you're like, oh, okay, here's where my focus should be. Well, Ford was future-proofing his own film because now you pick it up or even, you know, a decade after the fact, um, you know, you would be like, oh, that's John Wayne, movie star. And that's the way that's the way a movie star should be introduced. Mm-hmm. But I I wish I could see it uh, under the lens of and I'm trying to think like in 1939, you, you mean? Like- well, in 2019, you know, would there be a character actor that you would be like, why the fuck are they introducing him that way? <laughs> and then, like, you know, a decade later, they're they're a superstar. Well, what's the I mean, of course, he's an older actor at this point now. But what's the the guy who's in? Chernobyl and Mad Men. It would be like introducing him in a movie star way. It would mm. be like, wait, what? How? <laughs> what are I'll, we doing I'll here? Let you know, sir, that in Chernobyl, uh, he is a star because he's yeah, the no, he's the lead. Jared Harris is who you're Jared thinking Harris, of, right? Yes, yes, yes. But if I'm you a big saw Mets fan from yes. Mad Men <laughs> and if, Godzilla, but if you saw him in a 2019 release in a you know. A you know, relatively, because for this time, this was a relatively big movie. John Ford was already a pretty accomplished director. He was award winning. And if you, so if, I, you know, if out of the woodwork, Steven Spielberg came up, came out with a new movie and Jared Harris was introduced 20 minutes in and you have this movie star shot, you'd be like, what? what? Like, at, really? at this point in this podcast, since, you know, early on in this, the, this I don't know world. why I'm picking on Jared Harris. I love Jared Harris. You're not I picking, think... you're actually glorifying him, but I'm just, I have to speak up because I'm sure there are some listeners that are like, wait, so 2019 John Wayne, Jared Harris? <laughs> yes. That's where Dave's going? I would watch it. It is strange. Yes, it is very strange. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's interesting you mentioned it does future-proof it because we watch it now and you're like, oh, obviously that's the shot you would use. But like for the time, this makes almost no sense. Like, you're just, really? This guy, maybe, you know, of course he's he's much newer to film, but maybe an example of this is um, uh, Alden Ehrenreich when he was in the Coen Brothers, uh, Hail Caesar. Like, he has a couple movie star moments on that, and he's a complete unknown. Uh, and that, of course, you know, ended up ended up indirectly getting him cast as Han Solo, of all things. And boy, is- did he fail. <laughs> the Coen brothers steered us wrong. Yep. That kid didn't have the chops. Yep. Uh, <laughs> serves him right. How dare he chase the dream? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> total, in total you know, agreement. It does seem easier picking on someone that looks like John Wayne, who, you know, is John Wayne, the name. Than, right. Not some uh, scrawny little. Like... Yeah, this guy. But I felt bad because I'm like, you know what? I, I liked him in Hill Caesar. You know, he'll, yes. he'll, he'll pick himself up. He'll be fine. Get away from the Star Wars universe. He'll be good. Yes, here's hoping. Or it won't. <laughs> <laughs> I think, but I think one of the most interesting things about watching this movie, especially if you've watched a lot of Westerns or honestly just watched a lot of movies, there's a lot of things in here that you're like, I've seen this a million times. And you have to remember that like, yeah, but you hadn't in 1939. Like you have the kind of, you know, the the doctor who drinks too much, you know, the kind of 
the scenes of like, oh, go get me lots of water. Go get me lots of hot water when someone is in some sort of medical distress. I mean, you have all these hot moments. Hot water doesn't work for you, Dave? Yeah, I mean. I, I think it's usually pleasant. I mean, yes. it, it may not fix you, but, you know, put it on my feet, let them soak. Or even even the moment where the doctor is drunk and this, you know, this this woman is pregnant about to give birth and he just, you know, to get sober, starts drinking 19 cups of coffee as quickly as he can. Like, this is something you've seen in 100 movies and you're just like, and when you watch it here, you maybe you feel like, oh, God, I've seen this before. But like, this is 1939. <laughs> like, hmm. This is kind of probably where all this stuff started. I didn't have as much issue with that. Um now, keep in mind, I, I don't remember my initial impression other than and it probably would offend some of the listeners, especially to one with this premise of uh, focusing on directors and their filmography, where my first thought was that was a pretty good action movie for an old fucking movie like that. You know, it was it was sort of putting it on that level, like especially when you get to the. Uh, but I was shocked know, I guess, at how well the action worked in this. It does. It really works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did like the bit I read where, uh, you know, like there's, it just proves there's always been assholes where someone, I guess, asked Ford why, you know, they, they didn't just shoot the horses. Like why that chase would never happen. Like, why would they? And he's like, well, then the movie's over. <laughs> yeah. Like, you want to enjoy that. the movie or don't you? Um, but there's a lot I mean, of, there's a lot of really nice touches in that action sequence too. Like one in particular, I really like is there's all these sequences of the people at the front of the, of the coach throwing rocks to the sides of the of the horses to keep them running in a straight line because you would have to distract them because there's like weapons going back and forth and i thought like that's something you could leave out and it wouldn't it wouldn't hurt the movie at all but it gives it a sense of grounding a sense of realism in the moment uh, which i really really appreciated yeah i think that's why it didn't age as poorly for me with the character dynamics because i even having seen it before for this watch, I was expecting more maybe standard arcs for the, you know, you have the, uh, the civil war hangs over this given yes. the time period, right? Where we have a Confederate soldier, um, and you have this sort of classism as far as how there's a, a pregnant woman in the stagecoach, um, uh, going to meet up with her soldier husband, uh, which is, Sort of, I guess, the MacGuffin of the yeah. film. It's just an excuse to get them on the road and get these nine strangers interacting with interacting with each other. Um, but you have the prostitute, I guess, with the heart of gold. I don't know. I don't think the I don't think the movie like it was actually sort of forward thinking. I think in that regard too that they see you were introduced to this Dallas character who's chased out of town, uh, basically by the religious right. Yeah. <laughs> like, no more prostitution, no more uh, pretty woman moment here, not having it. And there's this like build up that uh, John Wayne's character uh, asks her to marry him just because he just likes her. And it's I mean, it's a little fast, but given the time period, you know, given the fact not that, that fast. Like they could they could die at any moment or <laughs> yeah. be arrested or whatever. Not that fast. Um, I think most films would play that up. That is like, oh, wait till he finds out that. She's a dirty woman, Man. like a dirty, And dirty it's interesting because the movie doesn't play that up, but her character does. Yeah, that's, that's the what movie, I mean. The movie constantly is like, yeah, but that doesn't matter. Look at the situation. Yeah, in. whatever. Maybe I'm taking a lot for granted, but I watched you with a baby, that other woman's baby. You look, well, well, I still got a ranch across the border. And it's a nice place, a real nice place. Trees grass water there's a cabin half built 
man could live there. And a woman. There you go. But you don't know me. You don't know who I am. I know all I want to know. Who cares, Which, man? And, and I think one of the points you're kind of driving at here is it's nice to have a character like this that doesn't quote-unquote, have a harder goal. Like, she's not perfect. She has her faults. It's not like, oh, you know, don't think about what she does for a living. She's actually a good person. It's just like, no, she's a real person, just like John Wayne's character is, just like Ringo is. It's like he has made some mistakes. You know, he is, you know, he's wanted by the law. But, like, in general, he's a good person. And then all these other people, like the Southern pregnant woman and um, uh, Hatfield, played by John Carradine, who in in that world they're seen as kind of you know upper class they're actually kind of the uglier characters in this story kind of do some terrible things and judge people in ways that i think the movie wants you to judge them for so i think it i like how it throws all that askew and kind of puts it on its head i also don't think the movie condemns those characters though it's no, just more like part of who nine, they are yeah, you get nine strangers in a room together uh there's gonna be some stark differences that yeah. show up but then they drift away given the fact that they're basically under siege the entire time or you know they go through a birth <laughs> you know like they, they share a very intimate moment uh the father's not around um but i don't feel like the movie it doesn't apologize for this woman being a prostitute um yeah. it doesn't apologize for john wayne being so like single-minded and i think we're used to that with our heroes like he's got a he's on a revenge quest so to avenge his family with these these three brothers, um, but his like baggage there ends up being more damning than anything with his like love interest as yep. far as like because he he could throw something good away just for the satisfaction of his ego in a way, and I think that's actually interesting. Like for a 1939 movie, I I would have expected them to play up the revenge at all costs. This is about honor. And I also feel like the movie is kind of disinterested, even when we get to that moment after, you know, the big chase sequence and they get back to it's town. It's just kind of an settle. epilogue. Like, well, I guess we got to have to wrap this up. The shooting. Yep. I, th I think it's interesting. They have no interest in the actual violence of him finally, you know, completing this quest to avenge his family. And it's more about like, yeah, dude, you have your gunfight, but like, are you actually like going to go away with like this woman that you fell for? Like, it's more interested in the romance than it is the romance of gunplay, which I think is really interesting for yeah. this because this you imagine was the you know the too fast too furious of its time right it's yeah it's a big action movie uh but i was interested and i'm not familiar enough with the time period certainly of 1930s uh films that at this point westerns were already out like this it's like they sort of went out with the silent era i was not aware of that did you know anything about this being sort of like a i don't want to say reimagining because that sounds far too modern but it's like you know that it's something that Ford really sort of seems like he surprised people by making like an entertaining Western. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's two things. One that, you know, it was, it was surprising that he would, and I think reimagining is actually the correct term for this because he is, you know, don't you feel like John Ford would slap us? If he probably, was alive? I <laughs> mean, he'd probably slap us just for existing. Let's be real. It seems like a very violent man. <laughs> so I think he's kind of, he's reimagining the, what we expect out of Westerns. Like you expect the gunplay, you expect the revenge, you, you expect a love story, but it to be very shallow. Right. And here, I think the love story between Ringo and Dallas, it doesn't have a huge amount of depth, but it's very subtle. 
the way it's played. And they just kind of accept each other for who they are, even before they even really have the details of who they are. They just kind of understand, like, actually, this is a nice person. This is a person I enjoy spending time with. Like, it's that simple. It doesn't have the trappings of the the upper class romance, pseudo-romance that goes on here. It's usually a a reward for heroism in some way. Or, you know, read it another way, it's a reward for violence. Like, after a certain amount of violence, you get laid. (laughs) Yeah. That seems to be, you know, the the currency of the time. And uh, I like that that particular bit of violence has nothing to do with the central sort of premise of the film. It, at one yeah. point it keeps, uh, you know, Wayne's character around in a way because he's got something he's got to do. So everything else is in the way of that. Mm-hmm. But I like that, you know, if it wasn't for that beginning of the third act, right before the chase sequence, there is another version where his character runs off and waits for her to come to him. And, which that's, I really and that's the expectation, right? You think like, okay, this guy is, you know, he's wanted by the law and he's wanted by these three brothers. They want to kill him. It makes sense for him now that he's, you know, he's he's not bound in any way. He has he has a weapon. It was very easy for him after this whole this whole stagecoach thing happens to like attack his captors and run off, right? Maybe take the girl with him and, you know, go live on this farm whatever. But instead, he does the honorable thing. Right. He stays with them. He goes and and faces down these brothers, even though we don't really get to see it, which is fine. And then returns to his captors and goes like, "Okay, I'm ready. And of course, there's a wonderful, happy ending where they, you know, scare off the horses and let them go off to live their life. Because really, that's the other interesting thing is the guy who's holding him uh, in this case is really you get the feeling he's doing it because he's being protective of him, that if he goes back there, he's going to die. And he doesn't want that. And he's going to be safer in jail than he is out in the real world. And now that that danger is taken care of, it's like, no, you can go off. I don't care. Do you think that played differently with the fact that when this came out, Wayne wasn't a movie star? Where you're thinking, maybe he is the poor bastard that tries to do the noble thing and gets himself killed. Maybe that maybe there's going to be an element of tragedy here. But now I don't think that expectation is realistically there with it being John Wayne. Mm, see, I disagree. Uh, only based on my I thought he was going to get killed. Huh? I did. Like when he walked in, and of course, I also knew at this point I had the background that John Wayne wasn't a star when this happened. Like I knew that going in. Had I not known that going in, I'd be like, "Well, you're not going to kill John Wayne. That's not. That's just not going to happen." But I had no idea. So he, I, he walked in there, and I'm like, "Oh man!" So this, this is the rare dark. instance where, by doing more reading on the film it actually you saved yourself from a spoiler yes. by by convincing yourself otherwise okay yeah first strange move dave first, first time for everything <laughs> yeah i just i'm i was actually really i didn't think one of the things when we walked into doing a john ford month i was like i don't know i'm not a big i'm not yeah <laughs> but i'm not the biggest john wayne fan and i think i felt this going in when i watched it for the first time like five or six years ago is that i'm like oh, i don't know if i'm gonna like this i don't really like john wayne but he's really good here like this is not just it's a like, good movie star performance. Like this is a good performance. Period. Yeah, I mean, I'm only really aware of him probably in his like later, not even screen appearances. Maybe just him as like a presence as yeah. an actor. Yeah, and you know, super conservative. Uh, just, <laughs> just seems like a blowhard, right? Like mm-hmm. John Wayne, like. Uh, pro Vietnam Green Berets like yeah. John Wayne uh, doesn't seem like a dude I want to spend ninety minutes no. two hours with. <laughs> uh, so this I, it, it's cool to see him as the guy that's 
not had a good life, doesn't have much expect expectations for himself, except he's got this one thing to do. Uh, meets a girl that he likes. He just likes, like you said, just spending time with. Like there's not like there are bullets flying, and it's like the passions are inflamed because they're in danger. This is just not, having uh, dinner. Just hanging yeah, this out. This is not Titanic with Leo and Kate where the ship's going down and you're like, would they really, would they still be together? Like if they both survived or would they be like, you know what? You're an asshole. Like that's, that's my version that I like to think to myself for Cameron's uh, epic. They, but thank God he drowned because otherwise not a happy ending. It would have gone much worse for him if he'd lived. <laughs> <laughs> Unhappy marriage for 60 years. <laughs> Uh, eventually we'll do Cameron, right? But we can't. Yeah. If we do, can we just skip Avatar? I don't know if I can ever watch Avatar again. Uh, I, mm, yeah, I think we can skip that, even though it's like the highest grossing movie. Highest grossing all time. time. Yeah. Where were you, Avengers? Couldn't even accomplish that. Not watch even with the re-release. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just like, even from his introduction, he just seems like a dude you want to like hang out with. And there's a lot of the characters here. Like, obviously, I like the drunk. Oh, he's uh, the best I, part. The doc. He's the best part of this movie. Or is the well, like what whiskey salesman? Who is this like beer he's, rep? He's got pretty great. Of, yeah, I <laughs> that's, like him too. That's just the guy I want to hang out with because he's got the booze. I mean, let's be real. It doesn't seem too insulted that he keeps being called like you know reverend or whatever. Like no, you know that he's yeah. he doesn't even seem too put out after he gets shot. Like he's just kind of like yeah, well you know this, this happens. Bound to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you hang out with the wrong people. You jump into stagecoach. This is what happens. Like it's, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, I think, um, you know, you bring up how likable John Wayne is, and I think that starts with his interactions with Doc, uh, where he's just talk, kind of talking about, like, didn't I know you? Didn't I help you and your kid? And he's like, ah, well, you know, that was my brother, but close enough. You know, like, he could choose to get insulted by this, to be misremembered in this way, but he's still just kind of like, no, you were a good doctor when you weren't drunk. And he's enjoyable, and he's funny, and he's playful, and these are things I don't associate with John Wayne at all. I associate with him... Just being ultra masculine and being very tough and unemotional. And this is kind of the opposite. Like it's emotional in an understated way. It's not like he's going to be like wailing and crying on screen. But you can see that he cares about the people he's with. And one of the things I love most about this movie is people are not rewarded simply for their station in life or who they are. They're rewarded for what they do. Right. You have the the southern woman who's pregnant and she hates this prostitute like treats her like garbage the entire movie and it doesn't change because she has some epiphany herself it changes because she realizes oh this is the woman who when she didn't have to took care of me and stayed up all night to make sure i was okay and maybe i misjudged her so she actually went through that process instead of just like oh well i am an intelligent woman and i can think this through and now okay i guess she's okay but like because this woman did something kind Dave hates when women are intelligent on film. Yes, is that definitely. This is why I love John Ford movies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you should have saved that for the very end of this episode. So you can be like, stay tuned for more. <laughs> um, no. I, I mean, I, I get what you're saying in that. I, I don't ever feel like there are these uh, teachable moments in the right. film where the film takes time to show. All right, now pay, pay close attention. I think there's just a general expectation of, when people are being slightly rude to the other. And it's not like we need that person immediately shot with an arrow or a bullet to the face. <laughs> We're just like, you know, I, I wish people didn't have to be that way. And there's a, it's done with 
some grace, which is strange for like a John Wayne movie, I think. But like even just sharing like water, it's just like, yeah, he, he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't pistol whip the man for not giving them a cup. He's just like, oh, I guess, you know, I guess you're going to be a jerk a about this. All yeah, right, fine. that's it. It's, it's very low key, yep. uh, low key, but a, a genuinely great action movie. Um, yeah. I would recommend this even to people who don't uh, like Westerns, including my dog, who is just like <laughs> is ready for this to be done. <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's actually an interesting entry point uh, for for Westerns, if you've never seen a Western, because I think it's it's something that can be enjoyed on kind of a bunch a bunch of different levels. Uh, also uh, taught me something I did not know. I did not know where the term uh, shotgun came from uh, when you want to ride in the front with someone. That was I. I watched the movie and then immediately went and looked that up because I was like, wait, is that where that's from? But yes, apparently uh, that's where the term shotgun comes from. The person in the front of the stagecoach who does not have the reins has the shotgun in case you are happened upon by robbers or brigands, I guess. You got to take care of that. So that was a, that was a nice learning moment so now for you me can too. actually enjoy <laughs> that joke in Booksmart and you're going to be like, ah, comes from stagecoach. I get it. I get it, Olivia Wilde. You're a smart one. Now, now it's funny. Now I understand. Previously, Dave didn't like intelligent women on screen, but now because of Stagecoach, he does. So please, you know, yet again, the internet demands it. Rewatch Booksmart, Dave, and oh, maybe yes. actually try to enjoy it this time. You're talking to one of the few people who actually paid to see it in the theater, unlike the rest of the world. So, well, you, you know, know what? You should have seen it twice. You know, like the Avengers fans, they came out four, five, six, seven times. Where were you, Dave? Resting uh, on your laurels. I don't know. Anyone who sees any, almost any movie four or five times, I have you know, judgments about doesn't matter what the movie is. Don't say that on a movie <laughs> podcast. Jesus Christ. There's, what do you that's the whole point of this though, is there are so many movies. We have so many blind spots. Why am I going to see the Avengers nine times in the theater? It doesn't I... have to be Avengers, Dave. <laughs> it can be, you've got mail. Oh, geez. Here we go. <laughs> of course it would have to be, you've got mail. Uh, the other thing that's interesting about this movie to me is there's one there's one scene in the movie where the movie slows down and I find it very interesting. Uh, there's there's a scene when they're you know kind of they go off um, and you know they're they're actually stopped for a moment and they're hanging out with this Mexican guy uh, who's very funny in the movie. Yes, my wife is a little bit savage, but. That's okay. That way the savages don't bother me, which I thought was racist, racist, but kind of cute. Uh, And there's there's this moment where before all the action starts again, his wife, this woman, they just focus the camera on her and she sings a song. Uh, And it's a really nice moment, but also serves, I think, to ratchet up the tension uh, because, you know, something is coming. You're not quite sure exactly what yet, but it made me wonder if a movie like this was made now, would you even have this moment? Or would we just jump to the stagecoach chase uh, instead of like having this moment of peace, this this respite? Well, if it's a Western, yes, right? Because I think there's sure. an expectation that we're making this for old fogies and we can take our time. In fact, they probably expect it to be quite lengthy so it earns the seal of approval for the genre. That There's mm-hmm. got to be like sort of a you know, steady pace and give you that sort of grandeur, that sort of epic. Uh, I'm trying to think the last like modern Western I really – liked like a true western like slow I liked west? open range slow west that one that one sticks out as more like a <laughs> like a crime caper or a comedy uh, gone right. wrong <laughs> <laughs> um i would say uh, open range with uh, kevin costner hmm. was not not attempting to be modern in the slightest but even that was like god 15 years ago or more yeah. um 
so yeah, if it's a Western, if it's an action film, no way. No, I, I mean, I don't, you know, I, I was joking as far as, you know, this was this, the obvious predecessor to too fast, too furious. <laughs> uh, but no, they're probably not having this type of moment. Um, something like a, a Tarantino movie, his version of action. Yes. He definitely would have that. Right. But it's weird. It's weird. Just as audience members, what we are programmed to expect based mm-hmm. on the type of movie, the genre that we have here. Um, but I'm guessing in 1939, there there were still some people that were like, "What what the fuck is up with this singing? Why are we why are we do- <laughs> why are we doing this?" Right. Now I think it would be fine if it's a western. Yeah, mm-hmm. like actually give them more time to get drunk. Isn't that what people liked about Deadwood? A lot yes. of drunken scenes. In yes, Deadwood. love it. Uh, it it also makes me wonder: Did you does watching this movie make you think of other modern movies? Because like I do feel like this movie. Maybe more so, especially more so than The Informer, definitely feels a lot more modern. It feels like it could fit now as opposed to 1939. Well, I mean, just even talking about Tarantino, like The Hateful Eight obviously comes For to sure. mind. Eating Strangers. Uh, now, I prefer this a lot more than The Hateful Eight because I like, you know, I mean, I'm not misled by that title, but I like at least one decent person. I like right. <laughs> maybe more than one decent human being, so they're not treated as a superhero or a god, but... Um, you know, I, I, you, you mentioned that's strangely grounded and that's what I like about it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there, I think we see those type of movies more in thrillers where we put like all these elements together and we see how they mm-hmm. respond to a, a problem that, that threatens them all. Uh, what's another one? Spring breakers. How about that? Dave? Mm, Is that good the, choice? The Love, approximation? It. Love it. I mean, you, you do have like a, you know, a gunfight. At the end, and I mean, there's more death in Spring Breakers. Yes. I mean, our modern John Wayne is James Franco. Love it. I will. N- I will never argue with anyone bringing up Spring Breakers in a positive fashion ever. So I, I have to admit, I did watch it again uh, last winter, and that was my biggest takeaway as far as a negative in that film is uh, it's a pretty shitty gunfight. At the end. Yes. It doesn't hold water at all to this 1939 set right. piece at all. So, yes. but obviously has better colors. <laughs> well, yes. More than two. Is that? Yes, absolutely. But I think, I think the thing I like most about this movie is that there are no heroes and no villains. Like John Wayne is clearly framed to be the superstar, to be the hero, but he's not faultless. He's made mistakes. And even, I think maybe the most unlikable character, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'll pose it to you as a question. Most unlikable character to me is Hatfield. Uh, John Carradine, I think Ford frames him that way by like constantly referring to, you know, calling the Civil War something other than what it was, you know, and, you know, invite basically inviting this Southern woman to (laughs) to be more classist, like, (laughs) hey, you're sitting next to a prostitute. Would you like to sit over by the window with me instead? (laughs) Like, geez, what a dick. Like she probably would. She probably would have been uncomfortable, but wouldn't have said anything. And you just gave her the opportunity to be extra mean. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think he's the one. But still, there's an honor about him. Right. Despite the fact he's like a degenerate gambler, like even the moment that, you know, and it's it's even hard to watch. There's a moment right before they're saved that he is going to kill this other woman is going to shoot her in the head to save her from a worse fate uh, by the quote unquote savages, which of course this maybe is another problem with the movie. It's maybe the way it treats anyone not white, uh, but it's an honorable choice that he's making. 
So there's no single character that is purely good and none that are purely evil, which I think makes it an exciting movie to watch. And you want to see these people interact. I mean, in that regard, uh, you know, giving that he's a Confederate, um, his instincts are to lose, <laughs> right? <laughs> Probably shouldn't trust his gut because he takes a big L uh, and yeah. they continue to take L's. Um, and in that regard, I, you know, it's unfortunate that in 2019, we're still talking about these people that refuse to acknowledge that they're big fucking losers. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I like that it's not mean spirited and that you have, you know, more modern, take or maybe just more uh sort of theatrical where there's a, a tragedy where he's two seconds uh too early on making that decision before you know they are saved mm-hmm. uh which i think was also an uh i think that was like an entire sequence out of the uh Coen brothers western anthology with buster scruggs was mm-hmm. was that that plot device that sort of dramatic element um I think the film is kind of interesting in how it handles honor in that regard. Like, you know, it's, it never seems to be pushing Wayne's character to like follow up on, you know, he's, he's throwing a lot away. Even if he lives, he's, you know, unless this, you know, cop basically out of the kindness of his heart decides just to let him go. He is, if he survives and gets vengeance, he is going to prison and he's not going to be with this woman that he's fallen for. And this Confederate, like, you know, the, as you said, the honorable choice there is to shoot a woman, uh, a new mother in the back of the head. Yeah. And so I, I think that's probably the most interesting thing about it is the film seems to, like, look at these characters making the honorable choice. And pretty much in every instance, it's like the wrong, the wrong move. Mm-hmm. And it's it's through, you know, luck or just their fellow man that they are absolved from almost making those mistakes. So it's actually, you know, it's pretty kind hearted mm-hmm. except how they treat the, the others here, the savages. That's yeah. Once again, the conf- the conflicting manner of John Ford, I don't understand this. So Ford Apache, the main native American character is basically being oppressed by this white corrupt official. John Wayne is actually telling his like superior officer They shouldn't be attacking these guys because they didn't do anything wrong. And then in the next movie, the Native Americans are all basically zombies and they're just bloodthirsty killers. And I don't understand. I don't know. You can't come into it with that expectation. It's 1939. I mean, if you come, you know, there's, you know, we we need a, you have to have like a a black hat. And Mm -hmm. the best I can say about it is that they (laughs) they actually don't give anything in the regards to like dialogue there to, you know, it's just, it's just basically treat it as if, um, it's a natural disaster or something. You know, that's, it's just something that they just sort of fall into. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Dehumanize them even more there by saying, (laughs) yeah, don't even let them talk. That's, That's where we're at. But no, I, I hear what you're saying is that if you do have the quote unquote black hats here, if you have them have a bunch of dialogue, it's it's like you know we've talked about with other directors of like if that's not really your skill set, maybe don't even go there. Like let's let's not have a bunch of dialogue with with Geronimo before he starts you know sending his troops to shoot everybody. Let's just have him be kind of in the background for ninety percent of the movie and then attack yeah. at the end, much like you know it would be if it was you know an earthquake or a hurricane. Like it <laughs> it makes just as much sense. So there you go, you cleaned yeah. it up. Yeah, I, I do my best. I try to look out for you, Mike. Um, I save the shit talking for 
uh, not on the podcast. So I'll I'll be nice to you here. I mean, so. there's your Patreon money right there. You just give them like uh, we did like an hour before of just shit talking and be like, do you see what this guy tweeted? What an idiot. <laughs> I think that was so the time where you pimp out our, our Twitter account. <laughs> yeah. Uh, such nice at guys. Directed by Pod. You'll find some <laughs> nice people there, we swear. Um, so before we kind of take a break before our second movie, where are you with John Ford now, now that you've seen The Informer and Stagecoach? Two very different movies. I mean, I think you can see the thorough lines of the director here, but I think, at least from my perspective, as far as quality of the film, this is a huge step up from The Informer. I'm wondering where we go from here as far as uh, when he turns his gaze to um, people of more means, because that seems, you know, especially with the the informer, it's it's someone who really has no options. And even still, you know, he 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 takes like the most damning option he has on the table uh, and even more damning does nothing with it. Uh, this one I liked quite a bit more because it is, you know, far more hopeful and that. These people survive and good things, you know, come to them for for getting through this together, you know, trusting in their fellow man, no matter how drunk they are. And in in fact, the more drunk they are, the more likable they are. I think that seems to be the the lesson here. Um, And also the more more they fucked, the more likable they are. That's the other element I didn't talk about, but God bless Dallas in this. Um, So that's what I'm most interested in, because, you know, I'm not not familiar pretty much all. We got this and the searchers. And so I assume at some point. You know, we're going to look at people who have a little more wealth or from a different class. And from what I know of Ford, he it's not like he grew up poor. I think no. they were middle class, maybe upper, upper middle, middle class. So yeah. uh, I assume he turns his gaze that way. And that's that's what I'm most interested in seeing going forward. But um, I, I'm a big fan of Stagecoach. It's a, it's yeah. a fun action movie. Yeah, I mean, I liked it the first time I watched it and liked it even more uh, on rewatch. Like, I think there's... You know, it's interesting that you framed it as an action movie, and it is in a lot of ways, but it has so much depth to it. And it's got a lot on its mind, whether you're talking about um, the North and the South, whether you're talking about class. I mean, it's it's definitely got a lot on its mind, and I appreciated that. And that it didn't – because a lot of movies have a lot on their minds, but they're not very subtle about the way they approach it, and it gets preachy. And one of the many things I love about this is that it never gets preachy here. It just kind of presents it to you like this is the situation. Draw your own conclusions, right? Which probably had different conclusions in 1939. It probably had different conclusions depending on where you were born, where you lived. And it's just like him letting you have that moment with the film, which I really like. And, you know, now after seeing these two movies, I'm starting to get a picture of why John Ford was so highly thought of. It's not because I think (laughs) I think sometimes with. With older directors, like now in 2019, there's lots of choices as far as which movies you watch. Back in the 30s and 40s, there weren't that many releases. So you get to start thinking like, okay, is this person truly great or are they just pretty good and they put out a lot of movies? So like, this is what we had from this time period. But like after watching these two movies, I'm already impressed that we're only 20% of the way there. So are you saying that, uh, to put it in podcast terms, that you initially thought he, John Ford was like the Joe Rogan or Mark Maron yes. in his realm where it's like, well, nobody was really doing it when they started. So they just, they got to the top quickly and, yep. uh, you know, one of them's mildly amusing, you know, in particular when he's interviewing presidents and the other one's an asshole. Yep. Yep. 
Actually, uh, they're probably both assholes, but one of them's just not very yeah, funny. Yeah, but I like the fact that Marin is honest about the fact that he is and kind of neurotic about it. Sometimes a little too it. much. That first yeah. 10 minutes. I don't need to hear about your oh, I don't, foibles. I don't think I've ever time. listened to the first 10 minutes of that show. To the famous person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, you know, slumming it by talking That's to you. That's why I'm interested. Yes, exactly. So we are going to take a quick break and then, of course, talk about the uh, very rich people involved in The Grapes of Wrath. So stick tuned for that. <sighs> God, yeah, definitely. Uh, we're going even further, like... We're, somehow we're going worse than the informer. Yeah, like, even, people... even poorer. The movie is is better than the book, and I know that's a sacrilegious statement to say pretty much about any movie about a book. But to be honest, I think it's mostly because of Henry Fonda. He kind of transcends the emotion from that we're supposed to be feeling, and he kind of encapsulates it on screen. And it, it makes you care. All right, so we are back for our second half of the episode to talk about The Grapes of Wrath, again, from John Ford. This is just one year later in 1940. Um, So after watching Stagecoach and kind of leading into this, were you excited to watch Grapes of Wrath, or is it too much of a turn? (laughs) Is it too much of a left turn? I was not excited. Like, you mentioned that— Well, uh, it's Henry Fonda. It's 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 based on a fantastic book, right? John Steinbeck. He's very well thought. Well known drunk, I believe, but you know, you should love this. Then this is not on screen. It's not like I got to hang out with a dude. True. Um, (laughs) Yeah, um, you had mentioned that you thought you had seen this in like school, like you know. This was like for me. This was like freshman year of high school, and uh, you'll love this. Um, I'm going to say out loud on the podcast that you were right. Uh, that this should not count as something I'd seen before. Because there's maybe 10 minutes of this two-hour and six-minute long movie that I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember that. And the rest of it, I might as well have been watching it for the first Beginning, time. Beginning? Was there, like, a highlight moment where you actually, like, perked up? As, like, uh, a fresh- well, I mean, there's the final scene. Um, Ugh. I'll be everywhere. Wherever you can look. Wherever there's a fight so hungry people can eat. I'll be there. Wherever there's a cop beating up a guy, I'll be there. I'll be in the way guys yell when they're mad. I'll be in the way kids laugh when they're hungry and they know supper's ready. And when the people are eating the stuff they raise and living in the houses they build, I'll be there too. That. Oh God! Because <laughs> I remember hate. I remember hating that in the book, so I was kind of looking out oh, for that for sure. Know, I love uh, Hitchcock, which we probably are going to keep punting him because there's forever. You know, there's We're a never lot, a lot to tackle there. We need to take like six months to do Hitchcock. That's yes. Um, and Psycho, the the next to last scene in Psycho gets a lot of hate, mm-hmm. and a lot of it's probably justifiable. Uh, for explaining to you <laughs> everything that you just saw, if you're too <laughs> if you're too dense to get it, uh, I, I think he's gonna actually, be there, Mike. He's gonna be there. <laughs> I actually think that the uh, next last scene, Psycho, works if you put yourself in the mindset of someone coming off the high of like the twist, which was mm-hmm. probably new at the time, yeah, and just giving people time to kind of like calm down before they like came out and spoiled it for everyone. Which you know, Hitchcock was ahead of his time for our spoiler culture. 
This though, hey, I, I thought this was. I'll, I'll spoil my take on Grapes of Wrath now before we even get into the like, you know, beginning of it. I thought it was a perfect movie mm. until the last two scenes. I loathed the last two. We, not only did we get one speech that seemed totally out of character. Oh yeah, I forgot about the scene with the mom at the end too. <sighs> yeah, so, so we got to top it off with the mom. She gets her speech. It's, it's not enough for you know Tom Joad to speechify. But then we get hers and they're back to back. It's yeah. back to back. Like not lecturing. You're not lecturing the audience, but you're like comforting them because you're mm-hmm. like, it's going to be OK. Yeah. We'll be fine. It we are the people. Okay. And you actually lived through this. Some of the people watching this film, like you lived through these times. <laughs> like, the hell with you. <laughs> it didn't get better. Like, you know, eventually, yes, as far as the masses go, the country right. got much better. But I despised it. And I, I I mean, up to this, I, I was actually kicking myself because I thought this was legitimately legitimately great from opening moment until we get to the last two speeches. I, th- I thought that the, the family is likable given their plight, mm-hmm. but they're not necessarily likable people. Like I didn't feel mm-hmm. like I'd want to hang out with a single one of them. Like our lead characters kind of a fuck up. And yeah. I love that in 1940, we had like a fuck up character as the protagonist. And Henry Fonda is great. Like, I mean, we talked uh, earlier in the episode about, you know, a movie star performance, but this, this is a true movie star performance and it's the only reason that 10 percent of that last speech works for me it's just because henry fond is so good um and to defend john ford like he needs it to defend john ford i don't think you can make this movie without that speech it's like the the crowning moment of the book that it's based on and i remember as a 14 year old shithead uh reading that book hating that scene. I hated it so much. I thought it was so stupid and so over the top. And uh, then I watched the movie uh, then and now and realized I was right, even though I was a shithead of a kid. Like, it's just it's not only is it over the top is we already get that. We know why you're doing what you're doing. The whole movie has led to this moment. I don't need a three minute speech telling well, me that you're a nice guy, <laughs> like that you're going to help people like that's the whole plot. I want to help people. That's it. You know, the, the culmination of this film with the speech is if these characters had agency or had a choice in what they were doing. Right. And really, they're 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 making the best of what they can. So some elements of the speech that you get at the end, um, uh, like there's one line where he's like, you know, basically like I'll, anytime you hear a man like yell out in anger, you know, I'll be there. I'm like, well, that's not that's not a totally positive rah-rah moment. <laughs> you know, that's like a that things are going to you know continue to be bad for a while. And, you know, for some people, they're going to be left behind. And even like, you know, whenever you hear a, a child laugh who's about to eat, who hadn't eaten in weeks, I'll be yeah, there like, oh, geez. Yeah, it's, it's not all like, you know, the time for the cookout and Fourth uh, of July, like everything is settled again. Uh, he's He's talking about social justice and uh, the struggle for social justice at the time. But what I disliked greatly about it was um, even though those thoughts might've been percolating in his head, given what he's seen in his experiences of moving from one, you know, sort of desperate situation to the next um, they, they found like a small measure of decency among sort of like-minded souls. It's mm-hmm. like we can, we as a, as a collective can make this work. And the reason that our main character played by Henry Fonda has to leave is because he may bring them all down because he's been given the blame for this crime. Uh, and he's now marked like literally, literally. marked in the face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
as yep. um, the guy they're looking for. He's, he's the one-armed man here in the in this version of the the really depressing fugitive. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's the fact that he's being scared off from this. That no matter how much these people are willing to accept, someone will want to take more from them. And that's, I mean, it's really dark, and I like that. And I'm cool with that character making the best of the situation. I just don't like him coddling me in the audience that this is a good thing. He's making the best of a really bad situation. Right. And then for whatever reason, the film doesn't comforted and like that Henry Fonda could really bring it home. So it's like they get, they got mama Joe going for the two point conversion here just to like <laughs> yeah. lay it on. I, I just don't, there's so much of this is so good. Like, I mean, it's, yeah. there's a character they meet early on when he, he gets out of prison and he goes back to the, you know, the family, the homestead and it's, it's already gone. No one's there. And he meets this guy who's, says I'm I'm just a wandering ghost now. Like I'm not even like human anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm the remnant of a past life and I'm just here basically to like warn others. Like that yeah. is my lot in life. I'm like, man, this is a cool fucking movie. Why didn't anybody ever tell me? Why didn't no one like elbow me in high school when and, I was ignoring this? And that scene is amazingly shot too because that character at his first introduction does look like a ghost out of out of a ghost story. Like, it's just lit by candlelight. You just barely see him. He's really kind of creepy and hard to look at in that way. And it's it's beautifully, beautifully shot. I was like, yeah, this, you know, once again, another example, like, man, John Ford, like, there is a reason he is highly thought of as a director. He has a great eye for these type of moments. And it's really the only, the only moment like that in the movie that, like, almost, almost veers into horror. You know, the way that character is introduced, it feels like a Victorian ghost story, but just set in Oklahoma in the dirt. Well, you expect to get that moment after you've sort of ratcheted up the the tension and instead... It's like two minutes in, man. Yeah, and I mean, the only thing we've done up to that point is sort of walk up the road with this, uh, you know, fallen preacher who's who's got a constant shitting grin on his face about like, yep... Used to be right with the Lord, yep, but then everything's bad. Sure is. It. Don't know what happened. Just don't feel it anymore, man. Just just like a, uh, you know, it's like he moved from like punk to new wave. It's that, that's that's his way of explaining that he no longer <laughs> oh, has no. like a passion for God or love the Lord idea anymore. that in this analogy, punk is close to God and new wave is far from it. I like that. Oh well, I mean, you, you've heard it, right? New wave is damn near satanic. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I mean, I, I like that there's there's a little bit of cynicism uh, and maybe that's sort of coded in the, the time that, you know, there was a great fear that it's like, you know, anything with the, the poor demanding uh, living wage, which we still see now. Mm-hmm. Um, I shouldn't even say the poor. I should say the, the middle class demanding a living wage uh, could be read even now as like, oh, you're a socialist at the time. You know, you're a big you're big red commie. And like so this this character who's fallen away from uh organized religion even if it is very like small town organized religion there's there's still sort of a coded cynicism that's like there's something off about the people who will like lead the revolution that like i don't know if you read it this way but like this character he's the one that sort of inspires tom joe later on he's the one that travels with them and then he's the one that starts figuring out this is how they're treating labor and this is how if we just sort of follow through with their plans, it's going to work out better for them in the end. And we're not even going to realize that like the ground's being taken out from under us yet again. Mm-hmm. But it's the guy that previously like felt a presence that just suddenly disappears on him. Mm-hmm. Did, did you read that as like, 
oh, it's the crazy guy. I'm not saying people who like have faith are all crazy, but he's the one that he drifts from one like sort of extremist position to the next. It just so happens that his extremist positions are right and justifiable in this setting. Yeah, I don't I don't think I picked up on that. Like it makes sense uh, now that you you kind of laid it out that way. Um, but I viewed his character as someone, of course, who is lost and needs something to hang on to. Um, like he does say like, oh, the spirit just left me. But I don't think it's any coincidence that the spirit left him as the people left. Right. He doesn't really have anyone to preach to. So what's the point of a preacher with no flock? Right. Everyone's gone. Everyone's scattered. So you see him as even more human or yeah. humanistic that way that he's connecting to a community that's no yeah. longer there. And then he finds some kind of faith again when there's a community there again. When there's someone to reach out See, to, it's, someone it's to strange care about. that you position yourself as far darker than myself because <laughs> I, I apparently, I think New Wave is satanic, and I'm not trusting this guy that actually has the best of you know the country's interest at heart. I'm saying like, eh, he's a bit extremist for me. <laughs> yes. The other thing I noticed in watching this, of course, you know, we talked about in our kind of introductory episode on John Ford how. Politically, is kind of strange because, like, I, at least from the 2019 lens, he seems pretty conservative, right? But for the time, actually pretty liberal. And I think you can see that here because there's all this stuff about, like, well, anyone who organizes is a red, he's a communist. And there's a whole sequence where uh, Tom Joad constantly is just like, what's all this red? What are you talking about? This doesn't make any sense. And it, it feels like him trying to distance himself from that term, like maybe as a liberal of the time and saying like, just organizing, just taking care of each other doesn't make you a communist, right? We look at how hmm. people are treated. And I thought it's something that if they wanted to, like they didn't have to hit it as hard as they did. Like they could have had the discussions about labor and about what the right thing to do is, but to throw in like the communist label over and over again and the red label, I found really interesting uh, for this director to do in particular. That's, see, I read that a different way as well, where I'm like, oh, this is like a conservative guy that's mm. like, oh, there is that stuff, but n n not us. You know, not <laughs> it's sort of like, you know, how Fox News goes fucking crazy when Obama is like, yeah, I would, I would meet with North Korea. Yeah, I mean, I might I'd take a meeting and they're like, fucking turncoat. And then Trump does it. And they're like, this is actually good. This is good. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I, <laughs> I read it as we need to distance ourselves from communism and refocus mm. the agenda of the film is like, no, this is about like an American plight. Like we, mm -hmm. we want nothing to do with that, but we also, you know, we kind of want these people not to starve. Is that okay? That's, that's <laughs> they that seem okay? to be kind of putting it in a bubble. Yeah. That makes Which sense. The Tom Joad character would be right. He's getting out of prison. So he comes yes. in sort of with a blank slate to the situation. And I think it makes extra sense when you combine it with that that scene at the I think it was at like a, a gas station uh, where they like go into the shop and try and find some bread. And, you know, at first this woman is kind of like, no, we don't have that. Get out of here. You broke people. We're not interested in you. You don't have any money. And then she sees what they're actually going through and sees the kids. And not only do they end up giving them this, you know, this loaf of bread, but also end up selling them these candies for the kids that are it's much less. Scene. It's beautiful. I mean, it, yeah. it as a scene has a better arc than most movies. Like it really like in this like three minutes, you understand who all these characters are and how they've changed through their interactions. And it's beautiful. What did you make of the uh, trucker comment there at the very end of that scene? Because you have these two witnesses to this, and that's it's just thrown out like truckers. Like <laughs> it's so strange. I watched the movie twice, and I still don't know exactly what they were getting at with that. Like maybe 
maybe it was to show that like yes she had this change of heart in this interaction but we still have our our thoughts about groups of people it doesn't it doesn't fix everything like this is this still exists it just changed for this moment but i don't know See, i read it as uh people who are forced to to leave home versus people who are profiting from oh, it interesting. like and so like she has she has treated people in a way that have con- no, no connection to her or where she comes from like that. They're, they're all trafficking in a business of mm. being strangers to one another. And these people come in and they're like, look, I don't I don't want to be here. We've got <laughs> we've got everything planned out. Just well, and there's enough. there's other moments before that that tie into that, too, where people are like, well, I don't know if I could do what you're doing traveling in this yeah. junk heap. They're like, we don't have a choice. We don't want to be here. <laughs> you think this is this is for comfort? You think this is National <laughs> yeah, Lampoon's just, family vacation? Just for here? fun. Let's load yeah. up the kids on the back of the truck with no no way to keep them on board. Like, sure. I, you know, one of the most powerful moments in the movie actually to me happens near the very beginning and it's played a little bit for laughs, but it's with the grandpa character and he's refusing to leave. And he just says like, yeah, I know it's terrible. Yeah, I know it's dirt, but it's mine. And it, and I think there's an, there's an American nature in that of like, this is my land. This is where I'm from. This is where I want to die. This is where I want to spend my entire life. And the world as it's changing now is taking that away from me. And that's something that all of his ancestors never had to deal with. Right. And he's, I think at this point in his life where he's like, I'm too old to change. I don't want to do that. Unless you you count the, the villains and, uh, Stagecoach, you know, they, yes. they, they had to deal with it. Yeah, well. <laughs> and yet they get to wear the black hat. <laughs> yes, exactly. But if you're white and poor, now, <laughs> now you're someone to look up to. I mean, both, uh, so watching these two together, you know, watching Stagecoach and then this, you know, there's, it's interesting how they approach the unknown of of travel right and stagecoach it's with this expectation like the system's falling apart because you have this outside threat that's sort of upending like well we go here we find these people that's where they're stationed that's where they're supposed to be and i mean that you have dallas the prostitute who is being kicked out like we don't care where you go just get out from this place and so there is like a strange interest on (laughs) you know on on travel being like a dangerous thing. And I think usually in film it's glorified, right? And I understand they're under very different circumstances. You know, stagecoach is fun and thrilling, but n- never forget that one of those characters could be shot and killed, including a, a woman who's just given birth. But here, like, I mean, it's every mention of like just getting across state lines. It's like, well, we did that. And we only lost grandpa. Well, we did that. We only lost grandma. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> you it's only rough. lost grandma. Like at least she made it to California. I mean, she was dead, but her body made it to California. They're just like pinning notes on the grave. Like, mm-hmm. by the way, this person wasn't murdered. We just can't dig them deep enough. Sorry. Right. Like it's, it's very morbid. Like, you know, it, it reminds me more of the informer than it does of stagecoach. Like, cause it is just so dire. Um, which is why you need scenes like like the dance, right? And I think this is where, and again, some of it's just based on the material he's basing these movies on, but I feel like this is where maybe Ford learned some lessons from his earlier films to not just have like two hours of just like everything is terrible. Like you need some lightness, even in these people's lives where there's not very much fun, there's not very much light. You need to have something here, which is why like when they get to that camp, it is like, I mean, this is like the Garden of Eden. 
in comparison to everything else they've been through. You know, they mm-hmm. traveled halfway across the country and also like that Ford constantly puts up these signs showing you how far they've traveled, like now entering this state, now entering this state. So you get a sense of the scope of what they're doing. So you don't just have them like, oh, we were in our wagon for five minutes and now we're in California, but it was really bad. Trust us. <laughs> like you do get yeah. a real yeah, no, sense of that. Can't really do the Indiana Jones uh, red line. Yeah, it doesn't kind of lose the thread. Um, I mean, that's one thing that had me hesitant to, you know, watch it, I guess my youth or, you, know, you just hear the grapes wrath and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I get de- depression, like yeah, the, the actual depression. The Dust Bowl, it's event. very sad. Yeah. We get it. <laughs> uh, people die, they lose their homes, but uh, I always felt this disconnect from it and, you know, watching it now, I mean, there's still like a disconnect where it's like, sure. I mean, I guess the closest we come, come to that in modern times, you, you watch something like the big short, if you go to the, the mm. 2008, the, you know, the financial crisis that is about people losing their homes, <laughs> big difference is how overextended people were and it's like there people in that situation it, it wasn't generational right it wasn't people like losing something where they'd been for decades and decades it was people actually it was the opposite it was people like trying to aspire to the american dream that was being sold to them but it was being sold to them by con artists mm-hmm. here it's just i mean it's a i think it's i won't say it's more tragic than that they're just tragic in different ways like you said like this land that people are so attached to uh, there there's there's nothing decadent about it like what the what we're introduced to what is being bulldozed over like already looks like they were just barely hanging on and that's what makes it even sadder they were barely hanging on and they still loved where they came from so much even mm-hmm. after like it's become a ghost like it's become filled with characters unless you're just a happy-go-lucky fallen preacher oh. <laughs> they're, they're kind of terrifying it is a horror movie when it starts and um, maybe that's that goes back to the, how we started this conversation. Why I was sort of like recoiled from the ending, like, mm-hmm. and it's also like when we talked about stagecoach, like, uh, John Wayne as far as how it plays differently. Like, I think it. It's, did you have the weird sort of like uh, I was watching a Blu-ray copy, and there's like a, a like I think they said the UK version. It's just read as international, where they put like just a thirty second. Uh, here's what the Dust Bowl is. Here's what happened oh, in the country. Which is, you know, unnecessary, obviously, but um, that's how I felt about the ending, too, was that we don't really need the big speeches because we know things turned out okay for the country. But I think the film works a lot better thinking it doesn't turn out good for this family in particular. There's nothing about this that's happened that leads you to believe that things are going to come up okay. And in fact, the big speech at the end from the mother is just like the victory is if they're still alive. And it's like we're still alive to live like this right <laughs> like yeah i mean it thanks is, dave yeah. i've been watching billy wilder this month <laughs> another no. uplifting mm-hmm. but it's i mean i agree with you other than those final two scenes i think this movie is fantastic and strangely a movie i would recommend to, to most people and i i think it's actually better than the book uh, which is like a travesty, I know, especially for someone from California, where John Steinbeck is from. But like, I think this raises the because the book itself is, of course, very dire, but it gets mired down in description. Whereas this, just you just see it, right? You see how desolate everything is across the country, and how many people are out of work, and you have these discussions of like, you know, they need this many pickers, and they put out this many flyers, and you get a very clear picture of why so many people are out of work and why the rich keep on getting richer and the poor keep on getting poorer and how hard that is to overcome and the idea that you do have to band together, 
right? You have to, you know, the, you can't do it on your own, even as a family. You can't just have six people and they're just like, oh, we'll figure it out. No, you have to band together with everyone of your ilk, all these people, you know, in your, in your status. Otherwise, nothing is ever going to change, right? And I think it's a, in some ways, that book in this movie is a warning shot to the rich, like, uh, this can't go on forever because if not, people will revolt in whatever way they can. Hopefully, you know, more so than on social media. Yes. Yes. <laughs> do something. Don't just say something, but do something. I think you bring up a good point about the book. Like I have like no interest in reading it because the, I could, I could see myself getting angry about what I would perceive to be trafficking and sort of the poor person's plight Mm -hmm. by, by making these, you know, extremely well-written, beautiful passages about terrible things. That's always provided me some discomfort. And so a movie that just allows for the quiet moments to hang. And when you have someone like Henry Fonda, uh, I think it just, it works far better than I anticipated. I was, I was shocked how much, like, as I was watching it, like, and even after the ending, I'm like, I want to buy this and watch it again. Like, and I never thought coming in this podcast, I'm like, I'm going to watch the grapes of wrath a second time. I was like, let me swallow my medicine. Check this one. <laughs> Do off. my homework. Then, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm like, yeah, I got stagecoach. That'll be, that'll be fun. But you know, then and hopefully something else, but yes, yeah, so far two out of three, incredibly depressing, Mr. Ford. And we've not even gotten to like the war stuff yet. Yeah. So. We're not even there Jesus. yet. So All right. enjoy. So I just want to say uh, before we move on, you're welcome. You're welcome for choosing John Ford. Um, instead of that, you know, that chucklehead Billy Wilder. I'm glad we've yeah. got something. Who needs Marilyn Monroe in their life? Who needs that? Jack Lemon. Well, that's Jesus. a good point. I kind of do too. Um, so now that we've watched uh, three of his movies out of the 10 we're going to watch, where do you stand on John Ford? Are your expectations raised for when we kind of move forward to, you know, the, the war pictures and the, well, there's gotta be a lull, right? Like, cause I'm, I'm coming off of, uh, two films I think are damn near perfect with Stagecoach and Grapes of Wrath. Um, kind of has to be a step down. Kind of has to be a lull. But as I said in our previous conversation, I'm still like even more so now I'm wanting to see like how does he tackle the rich as something then other than an other character, other than a presence that's holding our protagonist down. Uh, I That's what I'm most interested in seeing, like if he's got it in him. We'll so see I, if I'm we assuming, ever get there. I mean – who knows? Maybe. I actually don't, you know, legitimately don't know, and that I'll, I'll rail against him for uh, trafficking and poor people, you know, cinematic pornography. I guess if we, <laughs> if that's what he I does. I loved it. Like our first month was all on Sofia Coppola, who only looked at rich people, and now yeah. we're to John Ford. Just we're gonna go the opposite. We're gonna swing yeah. in the other direction. A little balance, please. Yeah, Just a little bit, Dave. Some middle we'll class anywhere. Yeah. 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 No. I mean, I think my my expectations are pretty high. Uh, now after these three movies, I even, I think, you know, thinking back to our conversation, I feel like you like the informer a little bit more than I did, but I feel like we're both kind of had similar takes on Stagecoach and Grapes of Wrath. Of course, Stagecoach is like, you know, I think generally very well thought of, like, it's not a surprise that we like Stagecoach. It's on all these like best hundred films ever made lists. It's on the Criterion collection. You know, it's like, okay, we were going to like that. Um, more surprised at how much enjoyed seems like a strange word, but more surprised at how much I enjoyed watching uh, Grapes of Wrath, but here we are. Uh, and so our next episode, the next two movies we're going to be covering are How Green Was My Valley and They Were Expendable. Um, so they were expendable is, of course, the the war picture. I think I got a so. shot at one rich person's movie. How Green Was My 
valet it's, it sounds think, rich maybe it's, we'll find out it's it sounds... unless it's about someone who had their valet taken from them by the rich i don't know <laughs> yeah we'll we will find out um so in the meantime you should follow us on social media uh at directed by pod on twitter and instagram and all that tell us what you think of the show so far and uh make sure to subscribe on uh apple podcasts or stitcher we're on all those services now uh and if you feel like it uh rate us and review us i don't think it helps us get listeners but we'd like to hear what you think um so make sure and do that and watch more john ford and stick with us as we kind of explore that uh yeah i don't know how to end this so i'm just gonna end it there uh say goodbye mike I mean, you could have a big speech about you know every you could every time you watch a movie, yeah. I will be there. <laughs> there you go, Jesus! I have, to, I have to do like a live edit. Like I gotta fix this now. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>